that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. And we got some news to share with you. We've got some good news. We've got some, I don't know if bad is the word, but we've got some bad news, maybe, depending on how the rest of the season plays out. And we've got some TBD news. So let's start with the good news, Nathan. Uh, Ryan Day got asked if Travion Henderson is expected to be back on Saturday after missing the Maryland game. What's his answer to that? Yeah, no surprise there. I mean, he said after the game that the, the, the full expectation was that this was a one-game absence, that they expected him to play, that he could have played against Maryland if they needed to, and that he's expected to play against Purdue in this Saturday. So the TBD news, I'm pretty sure all of you listening to this know what the you know, quote-unquote bad news is, so we'll get to that for the bulk of this pod. But the TBD news is about Emeka Ibuka, who left early in the yeah. fourth quarter, did not return, was in the tent, came back out of the tent. They never took his patch from him, but I, I can't really tell if they took his helmet from him or not because it was just sitting on top of a Gatorade thing. He had access to it. It's not like it was a concussion situation. They were looking at his left leg. From what I saw during the game, they were focused on, on the knee more than anything else. He was on the uh, stationary bike for a little bit, but then after the game, he was seen walking around in a boot. We don't know the status of him yet for Saturday, but Ryan Day did get asked about that, him as well, Nathan. Wanted to emphasize, I guess, that it's not long-term, but the way he was emphasizing that and the way that he answered the question initially definitely leads me to believe that there's real question as to whether he's going to play this week. He didn't say that said that maybe they'll know more later in the week, but that usually means like maybe he's not even practicing yet. I don't know. And it could be later this week before they get a, you know, a, a, a yay or nay on that. Um, it may be a thing where also, I don't know, are you, are you balancing it against anything else you find out that could happen over the course of a week in terms of personnel that we have no reason to think anything is up that way. But I would say right now, as I'm sitting here Tuesday afternoon, very skeptical that Emeka Buka plays against Purdue, and I think that's fine. I mean, it's not fine. Andrew, they would rather him be healthy, yeah. but it's, <laughs> it's, they don't need him to beat Purdue. And if, if, if holding him out against Purdue helps you beat Penn State and Wisconsin and Michigan, then I think you have to do it. Andrew, you have the same opinion regardless. Is it just because Marvin Harrison Jr., just to bring him in here, just for the perspective of this, he got hurt against Notre Dame. He didn't leave in a boot, but he did have ice on it. But we also didn't, they didn't have to play a football game for two weeks. So maybe he would have been able to play seven days later from that Notre Dame game. Maybe he wouldn't have been, but he had that extra week to prepare. Are, we other, are you under the same mindset here with Emeka Buka where you don't necessarily need him against Purdue? So if there's any chance of re aggravation or anything, if he's not flirting with 100%, is it better to just sit him this week and get prepared for Penn State next week? Yeah, it, there, it, I mean, there's a lot of factors that, you know, we admittedly won't know. And, and you know, it, it's going to be really, really tough for us to know this week, at, if if ever. Um, you know, it's it, what's the re-injury risk? What's the injury, first off? But then, you know, what's the what's the re-injury risk? Is it a pain thing or is it a, you know, is it a re-injury risk? And what percent would you say he's playing at? Is it an issue of stopping and starting like Marv was talking about or is it cutting? Like there's a lot of different kind of variables here that you can talk about. So I think it, it that all plays into this. I think you can look at it from the perspective correctly, I, I would say, that I would lean against not playing him. If you can look at Emeka and he's at, I don't know, whatever percentage you want to throw it at, maybe, you know, maybe you can say he'll dress and he'll be there and he'll and he'll play, you know, but only play if he, you know, I would say you only play him if you absolutely have to. 
yeah, I, I, you know, I would lean giving a Mecca the time off, you know, unless it's one of those situations where it's, hey, this isn't going to get better and this is just what you're going to have to play out for the rest of the season or, you know, the, the re-injury risk is nothing. It's just a matter of pain, whatever, however you want to say this, like as long as there's no long-term issue with the Mecca, um, you know, it, I, you know, I, I would, I would lean on holding him out, but if I wouldn't be appalled if he if he played i'll put it like that let's get into the news and we'll decide over the next 30 minutes here if it's good bad or indifferent nathan you were asking offensive line questions most of the beat was asking offensive line questions and just offensive questions in general he did get asked first and foremost we were get into that about the the punt blunder it was not a fake punt it was a bad snap and it's just adding to the list of issues with the special teams dating back to last season if you remember what happened in the Michigan game where the fake punt that you know that never happened and then the, the fake punt against Georgia that never happened plus all the other issues it's just a compounding issue which Ryan Day and this was the day of Ryan Day not throwing people under the bus and he did the same thing with the special teams and taking onus in that as well but back to the original point here what are we to make of how Ryan Day talked about the offensive line. And if you are a fan of this team, I, I, I want you to just talk to fans. How should they feel about Ohio State's offensive line and where and its ceiling or floor or both based on the way Ryan Day talked about them on Tuesday? What the crux that I wanted to get to, and I asked him the question after the game on Saturday, and he said, well, let me look at the film. But although when he answered that question, you can go back and look at the expression on his face and see that there was something there, I thought. Then I asked kind of the same question again today, or he, I think he maybe even brought it up on his own um, originally. Somebody else asked a question, and he said that he thinks they have the right guys. That He thinks they have, what did he say? I believe they're plenty talented to go out and win every game, to go win every game. And if it wasn't, I would tell you so. That was actually an answer I think he gave later to, to Bill Rabinowitz, but it was a crux of an answer that he had given earlier too, that he feels like they're, they have the five guys that they've been playing on the offensive line are talented enough to do the job. My question was, you know, we heard, you know, you were very complimentary about Luke Montgomery in the preseason. You were very complimentary about, and so was J Justin Fry, the offensive line coach, about Tegrish Ebola, about Emeka Ebuka about Zen Mahalski at different times. Um, uh, probably somebody whose name I'm forgetting here in the moment. Like, definitely plenty of other names that we heard in the preseason about guys who could be in the mix for some of these positions. And I'm like, so is there still a significant gap between them? And Ryan Day basically said yes. That right now, there isn't anybody else out there pushing for playing time. And I think that's a problem for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, there shouldn't be that much of a gap based on the play that we've seen, right? Like this, this, if, if there's a huge gap between the guys who are playing and the guys who aren't, and the guys who are playing are pretty consistently having issues with, you know, getting a push in the run game. Now you're starting to see some issues pop up in pass protection against what is not the best defensive line they're going to see the rest of this season. Then to, to think that there's nobody that could just plug in and step in there is an issue. The other big issue is it really tells you where this team will be if any injury does arise. Like if something were to happen to somebody, it potentially, uh, by what he's saying, means that they would have to then take a pretty significant step back in terms of trying to replace whoever that is. Because I think if it was close at all, I don't understand why it wouldn't be, why you wouldn't take a shot, why you wouldn't let somebody else play 
Um, even if it was a thing, I'm, 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 you know, could you do a Matt Jones 2021 with someone? And that person plugs in for a couple of different people and you get to at least try them out. I know that offensive line continuity is a big thing. And, you know, I, I believe in that. But at some point, you have to start figuring out some long-term things. And the other question that I asked him was, you know, obviously you're trying to get better throughout the course of a season at every position. Everybody is trying to watch film and take those meetings to the practice field and take the practice to the games and get better. Certainly understand that. But there's also something to be said for how much you really can do like big development stuff inside of a season. Guys who are, you know, you're, you're, you're game planning every week. You're, you're preparing for the next opponent. And it's not that there isn't fundamental work that's going on in practice every day, but it's not like you can you can do less game prep in order to do more development stuff, I don't think, right? Like this offense still has to, you know, get its game plan set and be on the same page all 11 spots together. So that was my other question to him was, and he seemed to say, no, that's, you've got to figure out a way to do that. You've got to find a way within your structure to bring that, whoever it is, along and make them better. The problem, I think, is that that has been the case in the past, as we just talked about on uh, the the pod on Monday, Stephen, right? Where it's like, um, you know, Harry Miller was like the one guy in 2020 that kind of needed to be leveled up to be on the same level as those other really good guys. Or 20, maybe in 2019, it was like Brandon Bowen who needed to be pulled up or something. I don't know. Or 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 2022, where you had, or 2021, I should say, where you had, you know, Paris Johnson playing guard. And maybe that wasn't the best fit, but he was the best they could do at that time. You know, you could always pick like one guy and say, well, that position needs to be pulled up. Luke Whipler in 2021, maybe, as, as a guy who wasn't expected to start and just sort of had to. And you could always, you know, that made more sense when it was one guy. But if all five guys in your offensive line are not playing, I wouldn't say they're all playing bad, but all not playing and certainly not as a unit playing at the level you need them to, that seems like a harder solve in the middle of a season. It's like, how do you bring up an entire unit? And it makes me think that it's something that's going to be kind of chronic that they're just going to have to live with. And so what do you do outside of that to still generate offense? What do you do now? At what point do you make a real noticeable pivot from how you've been approaching offense to how you need to approach offense in order to get this thing going because the offensive line can't help you in the ways that it used to help you. Andrew, Ryan Day has been one of the best offensive head coaches since he took over Ohio State. In fact, he was one of the two reasons why Urban Meyer went out and got him. He also went out and got Kevin Wilson to fix the offense in 2017, and they did that. In 17 and 18, the offense got better, and then they've had one of the best offenses in the country for the past five years. Is it fair to say that we get to see what Ryan Day is made of a little bit in this situation when he has to adapt in a world where there is an, a unit on his offense that is clearly lacking behind the other unit so much that it's impacting the things they want to do offensively. Yeah. I, you know, I mentioned this after, um, you know, after the game and, and on our post game pod, like, I think that there's a way to do this. I think that you can, 
you know, there's different looks that you can give, whether that's you get the ball out of the quarterback's hands really quickly, you run out of different formations. Like Ryan got asked today about kind of the increase in, in 12 personnel. And he mentioned, you know, G Scott and, and his blocking ability. Like, you know, that's an option as well. Like if you want to get another bigger body in there to kind of help out along the offensive line and help out in the run game a little bit, because, you know, defenses are still going to have to respect you know, if your two receivers in that in that type of look are Marvin and Emeka, you know, defenses are going to have to respect that, right? You know, defenses are going to have to be able to to pay attention to that, and you're and you're going to have to keep guys in the secondary. You can't just bring everybody up close. So there's 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 ways out of this. I I'm curious to see what those are, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Like when you talk about the the fix for this, it's not. Hey, we have a freshman that's a five-star player who just we've been holding back because we don't know if he's ready yet. But now we have to play him a little bit, and you're certain that talent is on the way, or you're certain that it's going to get better, and, and you're not. You know, this isn't a situation like we're turning to a backup, whatever backup quarterback, a backup whatever, and ah, uh, you know, we're just starting the future earlier than we anticipated, right? You know, this is a this is a situation where the next seven games, you're going to have to work through this. So, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely going to kind of find out what what Ryan Day can can do offensively and, and kind of what he's made of, frankly, as as a play caller and as a you know designer and as a schematic, whatever, however you want to phrase it. That's going to be what you have to find out about Ryan Day. So, you know, th- there's there's different things you can do. There's different looks. But the problem is those different things and those different looks have to be successful, right? You know, you have to, like, if you're going to run the ball in 12 personnel or you're going to, you know, operate out of 12 personnel more, that has to be successful or more successful than what you've been doing. It has to be kind of on par. You can't just settle for, you know, a little bit better because that's not going to beat Michigan and Penn State. It has to be an improvement. And I think that that's the challenge. You can try a lot of things, but the challenge is finding something that works. My question, my hesitation about the twelve personnel stuff, though, like obviously they used it more against Maryland, but in the past, and Ryan Day loves it, but he loves it because he deployed it on his terms. I don't think it's as effective Correct. if it's the thing that you go to because your offensive line isn't quite good enough. There, I think you're, you know, you're compromising what identity you would prefer to have in order to. Um, to meet the opponent. And I think that's a big problem. And I know that there's fan, there, there are listeners right now who are saying, Hey, like 2018, you know, uh, why Davis plays at the end of the year, he wasn't quite ready, but he went in there and played. And like Josh Myers had an opportunity like that. And there, there are plenty of other opportunities like that before. But again, I think there, again, you're talking about one guy who's being called up to fit into an offensive line that, sort of otherwise worked. Maybe 2018 is the best example of that because they did have offensive line issues that season. Some of them were personnel and scheme, maybe not meeting the right way. But it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. That a lot of times it's like, okay, well, here's the one guy who we need to we need to either fix this or somebody got hurt. So now we're bringing up a guy and yeah, he's young, but we think he's got you know enough to like get through this. And I think that complicates the situation right now is that there might be guys with, higher ceilings than some of the guys who are playing right now, but their floor is probably lower too. And you, that's the risk that you'd be taking right now on a, on an already shaky situation 
introducing even more variants into it is probably not the way to go. So I, I sympathize. <laughs> I, I I know that we have Buckeye Talk has for years now been on the side of you know what sometimes you just got to bite your tongue and play the young guys, and I think a lot of times that's true. But I tend to believe Ryan Day right now because I just the body language and the way he's talking. I I believe that they have evaluated personnel and come back with the same answer every week. I am all for a play the young guy, but you play the young guy when the pieces around him can afford you some busts because younger guys are typically boomer busts. But when the pieces around them are high floor guys, it can almost disguise it a little bit. Harry Miller was a young guy. The rest of that offensive line was not young guys. It was right. a return. It was Josh Myers, Thayer Munford, uh, Wyatt Davis, and Nicholas Petitford. Those are older. And plus, it's a young guy with a five star ceiling. Donovan Jackson last year was a young guy with a five star ceiling. When Wyatt Davis had to step in for Demetrius Knox in 2018 at the end of that year, that was a young guy with a five star ceiling. That's a very different conversation than what we're talking about. There is one five star in that offensive line room right now, and he's not playing very well right now. His name is Donovan Jackson. So there's not this idea of, oh, this is veteran group that, yeah, your left guard struggling but it's okay because your center and your left tackler are being so awesome that it can make up plus your quarterback runs a 4-4-4 that it can make up for the fact that every so often Harry Miller might have a blunder or plus because CJ Stroud's so good at pre-snap and identifying things that outside of what happened against Iowa where he just got blasted and it was a scooping score which is oh lord you can, you can live with that. You can't live with that. Ryan Day even brought up the fact that it's a young first-year starting quarterback. You can't live with those types of things when your quarterback is this young and this new. You can't put all that on his plate. But I do think there is a world to live in where Ryan Day can scheme up differently for things, whether it is the 12-personnel stuff or it's just getting the ball out of Kyle McCord's hands quicker and not relying so much on the long-developing deep shots. Now, you still need those, but how does it? I think this comes down to how does Ryan Day adapt because this is what it is. Nathan, we've been talking about it for two years, that this was always on the table, that the offensive line, things could get stark. Well, it's come true. We've been profit. And how does Ryan Day adapt to that now that it's here? Because whatever ceiling Josh Simmons, Donovan Jackson, Carson Hensman, Matthew Jones, and Josh Fryer have as a unit, whatever ceiling first year Luke Montgomery has or t- second year Tegra Shibola has if they do start to push these guys because I do think some of that was a challenge the way Ryan Day answered your question today a, a challenge yeah. to meet the moment so whatever ends up happening whatever the offensive line looks like against Penn State whatever it looks like against Michigan whatever it looks like if they get through all of that and get to a playoff stage the ceiling is not that high regardless so how does Ryan Day adapt to that and then we go back to the drawing board when we get into the spring and maybe they can find better options in the portal or guys just take a jump. I mean, well, they tried the portal thing and we saw where that got them. Like, that's just, I don't, this doesn't <laughs> seem, I'm sorry, like, it just doesn't seem like a problem you're really going to solve. I know that Michigan has had some better success with guys in the portal, but this, there's no reason that with every other facet of this offense being what it is, that they can't find better offensive linemen more consistently. Like, it, there's no excuse for it. Literally no excuse for it. And that's probably more for a different, podcast because that's not anything they can they can't do that in season there's no you know this isn't the nfl right now in the nfl you'd be looking around and be like oh denver oh, you're not looking that good you guys want to trade one of those offensive linemen like you can't like go trade with nebraska for some offensive linemen right now so that's for for the off season what i'm thinking there still just does seem to be 
and you, I, I sympathize with it. You can see it on his face, and you hear it from other players in his program too. This, the clash between maybe it's time to try something new, but it's it's frustrating to give up on the thing that you, it should be working. Like to bail on it would seem like a failure because it's not something the other team is necessarily taking away from you. You know, I because I, I was some Kate Stover was asked after the game on Saturday about the play. Somebody tried to preface a question about how it seemed like maybe the play calling was better in the second half. And this was Kate Stover's answer. He says, that has nothing to do with play calling. Stretch right should be stretch right till the day you die. We have to hat it up and drive people off the ball. We've got to get more movement. Like it's, it's, I under, I also think that they need to probably run stretch to the boundary less or stretch anywhere less. Like they need to, I, I want to see this run game get a little bit more vertical. I think there are some things they can scheme up. I know we talked a lot about what they could do with McCord, but I think there are things they could do within the run game to to scheme some things and get more vertical, especially when you've got Chip Trainum, you've got Mayan Williams. Like let those guys play a little bit more vertical than they did in the run game because this offensive line is not going to be everything you need to like they they were able to do those things in the past because even if some of the guys they had weren't great run blockers, they were still tremendous athletes relative to the rest of college football at their position, whether that's Nicholas Petit Frere, whether that's Thayer Munford, whether that's Dewan Jones. Like Dewan Jones is actually a pretty good run blocker, but you know what I'm saying? Like those guys were they they had a little bit more give in their game where it was still going to come out in a positive way for them. And that's just, I don't think, true of these five guys right now. So you've got to find, I think, a way to get this running game a little bit more vertical. Uh, it just I, I, So many times in that game Saturday, I was like, why are they running around the end again? It's not like it never works, but it seems like there's, there's more that can happen on the interior. Or is that because they don't trust those guys on the interior enough to make that happen? It obviously worked. You know, in 2019, J.K. Dobbins did that a whole lot. That was where the the Myers um, Davis freeway or whatever we called it got started. Doug called it um, like that's we thought that they might be able to revisit that a little bit this year that eh, maybe, okay, maybe pass pros an issue, but these guys should be able to get it done on the ground game. And it hasn't, but I also think that they can probably call plays in a way that helps them more. So we'll see, but I, I, I still see that internal conflict and I, I, you can tell it's in the way Ryan day talks about it too. It's like, you can't you can't just abandon the run. You can't just say, "Well, I guess we're just a team that never runs the ball." Like that that doesn't work. There's going to be games, and I'm even as much as I'm the one saying, "Yeah, maybe they need to like pull out that Georgia playbook and Georgia script when they play Penn State in two weeks." But I don't. It could be a muddy mess when they play Penn State in two weeks, and that's not going to be an option for them. Like they, they they have to be better in this stage of the game because if they don't eventually the circumstance will arise that it costs them. Ohio well, State is a offense that has to worry about weather in a way that some of it's the teams that can look it in the eye in terms of around the country from a passing standpoint don't necessarily have to do that. Because Ryan Day did bring up that. The, what they have to deal with in November, they're not, they might not be able to throw it around the yard the way that they can when they get into a bowl game and they're playing indoors, which was we made a big deal out of that too, the fact that, hey, you get to play indoors. Even Marvin Harrison was saying, that, yeah, I've never played a game indoors. This should be fun. It's why every time they go to Indianapolis, it's such a interesting concept to watch them play football because now you're putting a bunch of fast athletes indoors on a track. Anything is possible here because Ryan Day doesn't have to worry about the weather anymore. 
They do. And I and I, I do understand that. As and I'm probably the most. Just chuck it. Just throw it every time. Throw the ball all around the yard. Air raid, air raid, air raid. But there is an understanding that there is going to be a game on the schedule that plays out the way the Northwestern game played out last year, where it's not CJ Stroud's fault that she can't throw in 50 miles per hour wins. It's not, but that those games are always out there and always on, they have to be in the back of your mind. So you have to be able to run the ball when those games in November, when you're playing in the snow, when you're playing in less than ideal conditions, where the passing attack just can't be a factor. You have to be able to run the ball. So I do understand the emphasis in those situations. We, we talked about the schedule being a benefit for them just in kind of like as a like in totality, you know, you have kind of a mini season leading up to Notre Dame and then you have a mini season that includes Penn State and Wisconsin, you know, back to back where you play Penn State at home and that's a huge game. And then you got to go to Camp Randall and then you have a mini schedule where you play at Rutgers, Michigan State, Minnesota and at Michigan. And, you know, obviously that builds with the Michigan game. But as I think about the offensive line, I'm not sure if this is the most ideal schedule for Ohio State's offense and for the offensive line because, you know, they they just finished one out of eight. They are one-eighth of the way through this kind of gauntlet through the rest of the season, and they have seven games in seven weeks and maybe eight and eight if you play in the Big Ten championship game. Now, if you play in the Big Ten championship game, you're not going to play a team as good as Penn State or Michigan. but I wonder with this offensive line, how much of this you can talk about the personnel being what it is. And I'm more or less just playing devil's advocate here, but you can talk about the personnel on the offensive line and Ryan saying, you know, hey, we we want somebody to push for this. You know, we don't have anybody ready. Well, you've got five starters who I think unequivocally are, you could say are not getting the job done at, at, uh, at the level that you want, or even at the level that you could even just kind of work through. Like this is an active problem, but what happens if in the fourth quarter against Purdue insert lineman here sprains an ankle and he's out for three weeks because he gets a high ankle sprain. And then all of a sudden you haven't repped anybody else in meaningful reps. And, and, and then you go into a Penn state game where, okay, well, we were already kind of changing up the offense a little bit and kind of how we do things. And now we have new personnel in there or what happens if it happens in the first quarter against Penn state. And now all of a sudden you're in a dogfight in the second quarter and you're putting in a new offensive lineman. Like the offensive line is a, is a position of attrition and, you know, it's a physical position. It's a grueling position. I mean, you look at the receivers, like it's, it's hard to get through a regular season healthy. And that has nothing to do with the way that you take care of your body. Marvin Harrison takes great care of his, his body. He's a, you know, I mean, he's a college athlete. He's one of the best players in the country. And he got rolled up on in a, in a, just the most awkward and seemingly painful way possible. Like if that happens to Ohio state's offensive line, I would, I, I mean, what do you got? Like, what's what's the plan there if you don't have anybody with experience that can come in? So I do, I understand what Ryan's saying about, you know, we're, we got to work through this. The talent's there with our starting five. We haven't had any of the second team guys kind of push. I, I totally get that. I totally respect that. You can't put somebody out there who is going to kill you. You can't put somebody out there who's going to absolutely kill a drive by themselves. But there is a point, and I think that there is something to be said for 
one, getting a different look and just kind of seeing if it works. But two, you also got to start to get experience because getting through these next seven games with all five starters playing every single meaningful snap that you're going to play for the rest of the season, I, I don't I don't want to say it's likely or unlikely, but it would be a major benefit and it would be like a sigh of relief if Ohio State can get through that because think about where the offensive line is now and then lose a guy or two off of that unit and then think about where you could be. So I do think that while we can talk about schematics and while we can talk about game planning, the personnel side of things I think might be a bigger issue with this too, just because you might just want to try something and see if it works for a couple of drives. And then if you have to go to that person later because somebody goes down with an injury, you're not totally scrambling because you got the big Penn State game and what happened? I mean, I mentioned if it happens at Purdue or Wisconsin or Purdue or Penn State. Well, all right. Well, now you got to go on the road, and you have to play. Uh, you know, you have to play a new tackle on the road at Wisconsin at Camp Randall in a place that's going crazy. And Ohio State just won a, you know, a grueling game over Penn State the week before. Like, y- y- you got to, I think, mix this up a little bit. But going into the next couple of weeks, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, they don't. They've never rolled guys on the offensive line. The closest that they've ever come was 21 when Matt Jones, because Thayer Munford had had plenty of injuries over the course of the year. Uh, Wood, Paris was dealing with something during the year as well. So that was yeah. more of an injury thing than it was like a plan. Yeah. That was, yeah. And so he was like their six. He was like the true utility guy that would sub in there. Um, and they are, you know, Luke Montgomery does have the role as the Bison uh, six lineman slash glorified tight end, whatever you want to call that. So they are getting those guys in the game. I think it's it's I I agree in concept with a lot of what you're saying, but the flip side of the coin is yeah, but I mean these guys who are playing and who are going to keep starting need every rep they can get because they've got to get better. And sure. I think that's the that's the rock and the hard place that Ohio State is sort of stuck in right now. So I guess. We'll let you guys, as the listeners, decide. Actually, I'll put out a poll there. 614-350-3315. Sign up for the text. After you listen to this podcast, I'm going to send out a poll. I'm going to say, did you think that talk about offensive line and the way Ryan Day talked about it? Is that good news? Is it bad news? Or is it scary news? We'll even add that one as well. Let's take a break there. And then when we come back, we'll wrap this up with a game that I like to call, Why Isn't This Guy Playing More? And we're back. So the second half of the Ryan Day Jim Knowles conversation was basically a runoff of list of, hey, why isn't this guy playing more football this year? We thought we were going to see them more. And I think the face of that is probably Dallin Hayden, who we even had a conversation about that in the in the uh, preseason and when we marked it down, whether or not he would have over 100 carries or not. Well, he might not have even have over 50 carries, but there is a reason why Dallin Hayden has gone from being basically the guy who in some ways saved Ohio State's running back room last year when Chavion Henderson and Mayan Williams and Evan Pryor all were dealing with different injuries throughout the year to, I think he's played maybe 30 snaps. I think he's touched the ball maybe twice this year. Nathan, why is Dallin Hayden not playing more football in year two? Well, so in general, him not playing has not necessarily been a surprise. We knew coming into the year that this wasn't going to be a five-man rotation. This wasn't going to be a five-man room. And even before we knew the extent of what Chip Trainum was going to be, we thought maybe that was just Mayan Williams. And that Dallin Hayden was like third at best in this run, probably. And 
so the fact that he isn't playing much doesn't surprise. And the reason that they are doing it also isn't a surprise. And that Ryan Day today sort of opened up about this being a conversation that dates back to the preseason with Hayden, which is if you play five or six games this year and it's just garbage time, you've blown mm-hmm. your eligibility for what? And in a perfect world, think of it this way. In a perfect world, Dallin Hayden wouldn't have played much last year. Dallin Hayden would have taken yes. a extra year last year because the only reason he played as much as he did last year was because Trevin Henderson and Mayan Williams were both so hurt so often. And it was, you know, he had a big game against Toledo and you could have just, that could have just been his big thing. And we would have been talking this year like, oh, hey, you know, intriguing 100-yard performance against Toledo. Yep. Still might be 2024, but, you know, they've got this guy that's kind of buried on the depth chart. Then instead he has to play and has a good game against Indiana, has to really kind of bail them out against Maryland last year. It was like 146 yards and three touchdowns or whatever. A huge week against mm-hmm. Maryland in a game that, again, as I've said many times, like they're, you know, Maryland's got the ball down one score with under a minute to play. Like that's how close that game was. And so that kind of fueled everything that came after that. The questions about why he didn't play more against Michigan. The questions about why maybe he didn't even play more against Georgia. And then fueling into the offseason. It fueled speculation about, hey, is he going to get poached by someone? Is he going to go leave and go play somewhere? Because he's proven he can play. Does he really want to sit around and wait for another year? And I guess the answer was yes. Because they had this, you know, at a time when he could have left, they were already having a discussion saying, I think they see him as a real future of this room. You know, Trevin mm-hmm. Henderson, we assume most likely leaves after this year. Same with Mine Williams. Same with Chip Trainum. And the, the, this room starts to really thin out and it leaves Chip, uh, uh, sorry, Dallin Hayden and then Evan Pryor to a lesser extent because he doesn't have as much experience yet, but it like, leaves those two guys as the real veteran presence in this room. And yes, they're backfilling with some intriguing younger guys, but those two guys can be, you know, Dallin Hayden can be the lead, almost like unquestioned lead back of this offense next year, maybe with, with Evan Pryor sort of as a secondary guy in some capacity, depending on what happens with these younger guys. And I suppose depending on what happens if they look at the portal. So I think that's what this has all been about. And I think it was probably a, a somewhat easy sell. It's it's a, it, we haven't talked to Dallin Hayden about it. I'll be intrigued to hear what he says about it when when we do get him again. But to me, it would be a fairly easy sell. It's It kind of comes back to the conversations that we've had about the quarterback room, which is don't be so quick to assume these guys are going to bail because the reward at the end of the day is always better than where they could potentially go. Like Dallin Hayden could have gone to Tennessee, like where he's from or someplace like that. I don't know, Vanderbilt. They could probably gone and been the best player at Vanderbilt this year or whatever. But like, mm-hmm. that's probably a stretch. They, they probably got some good players there being the SEC. But you know what I'm saying? Like you could have gone somewhere like that and been a big part of the offense this year. But you would have been trading that and a real ceiling on team achievement uh, and potentially personal achievement. You would have been trading one earlier year of that for the opportunity, like I'm just saying, next year you might be the lead back of the Ohio State offense. And I think that is most likely the pitch that was made to him. And it would make sense to me that he took it. So if you're wondering why Dallin Hayden isn't playing more, uh, a long-winded way. So could he still have played against Maryland? Sure. That would have been his second game. And then that just yep. cuts down on how many times you can use him after that. And I think from Ohio State's standpoint, they should be able to beat Maryland with the running backs that they had available. And, and you've also got Xavier Johnson if you need him for that too, by the way. 
And because uh, I just remembered, I was just looking back at some stuff earlier this week, I'd forgotten how much he ran the ball against Georgia in that playoff game. Uh, so you've also got him. So now Dallin Hayden has played in one game so far. You've got three games you can use him. And now imagine you get to the same scenario as you had at the end of last year where your top two mm-hmm. or three running backs are compromised. Well, now you've got Dallin Hayden. You could play him against Michigan. You could play him in the Big Ten Championship game. You could play him in a playoff, and you can still get to redshirt him next year. Or for this year. You still get he still has he for himself still has three years of eligibility left. So the player has to be on board in these kind of things. But to me, I as as much as that would be tough to be that close to showing to being playing well and showing what you could do and then have to take a step back. But I think in the long term, it makes a lot of sense for Dallin Hayden. Hayden had 111 carries last year for 553 yards and five touchdowns plus four catches for 23 yards. He was caught quality last year. But I know it looks weird, but this was the plan when he they recruited him. You got to remember, he was number 282 player, number 24 running back in that 2022 recruiting class. This was the plan. It just looks weird because things didn't go as planned <laughs> for the room a year ago. He's on social media, him and his father, Aaron, basically co-signing what Ryan Day had to say about him. To, this was the plan. It was always about the future with him the first year. You redshirt it. You spend. You just develop in the background. Maybe you start to get a role in year two, but year three in 2024 is where there was a real opportunity for him to have a role. They're back on that plan. It just looks weird because they had to play him a year ago. He'd be a redshirt freshman right now had that not happened. Next on the list of 2022 players <laughs> who are not playing, where it was legitimately verbatim asked. This is a, Patrick Murphy from 247 Sports. This was the way he asked the question. I keep getting asked, why isn't CJ Hicks playing? Jim Knowles smiles. And so Patrick goes, so I'm going to ask you, why isn't CJ Hicks playing? Andrew, what is the answer that once this is not just a CJ Hicks conversation, but this is where it starts at. Why isn't CJ Hicks playing in 2022? Well, there's it's I mean, it's hard to find a spot, you know, he because he mentioned, you know, Jim Knowles mentioned to Cody Simon as well, you know, mm-hmm. as you know, guys that can play and guys that could, you know, could play if they needed if they needed them. But there's veterans above them. And Jim kind of mentioned that just, I think he mentioned, I think he said the word veteran like three times in that answer. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of tell like what he's valuing there. Um, you know, w- when you got steel and you've got Tommy, those are guys that are hard to take off the field. And, you know, you mentioned the safety driven defense, which is all, you know, all, all, you know, you talk about with Jim Knowles and, you know, who, who are you taking off on the back end? And you, you got your two corners. Who are you taking off on the back end? Who are you taking off? Are you, are you going three down linemen now? No, you're not. So you keep four down linemen there. You, you, you kind of run out of numbers there. And then you get to the linebackers and it's like, all right, well, Tommy's not leaving. And Steele, you know, Nathan mentioned this in one of our standups. Steele is such a good coverage linebacker that you're not taking him off the field a ton. You know, you want to have him on the field a lot. So, you know, you, you, you kind of run out of numbers there. I think that, um, you know, it was not a CJ Hicks. I, you know, I want to be clear. It's not CJ Hicks isn't ready to play. It's not CJ Hicks can't play or he's still growing or we're, we're working with it. it. It was none of that. It was just, you know, we've got veterans ahead of him and we've got veterans that are in like on the depth chart that are just hard to knock off right now. So, you know, it was it was very much an answer of, you know, from Jim we got guys that we like on the field and, you know, he was pretty complimentary of the linebacking play um, just in general. So he's like, we've got guys that we like on the field. We've got veterans that are on the field. And I, frankly, it's just hard to get a guy like CJ Hicks on the field. If, if that's going to be the case. 
Yeah, I asked, I asked him to make sure, like, yes, it's literally just that. The three guys in front of him are playing better. Which brings us, Nathan, to the Cody Simon conversation in this. And we Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg are the starting linebackers, and they get the bulk of the snaps. But Cody Simon, whether you're talking the Notre Dame game or you're talking the Maryland game, in the last two weeks, two games they've played, he's made plays, even if he hasn't played a big bulk of the snaps. And I asked Jim Knowles this, is there room for him to play more? Is he earning more? Is that he said yes? He's actually been talking about this all year, trying to get more Cody Simon on the field because he's earned it. Is that a, a what does that look like in your mind as you think about what an idea of Cody Simon playing more? Is that him playing instead of Still Chambers? Is it a shared thing like what we've seen in the past? What does that look like getting Cody Simon more involved with what they're doing out there? You know, Knowles has always been hesitant to platoon too much. And I would wonder, you didn't get this question specifically today. It's a good follow-up for next week, depending on how things go with the linebackers this week. Because this is going to be a big topic of conversation for trying to stop Penn State's offense, I believe, next week. Because last year he came in and was very much like, no, like back seven, like I like to keep those guys pretty stationary or like keep pretty intact, like not move things around too much. But they backed off of that a little bit this year. Obviously, Jordan Hancock and the role that he's had as the nickel safety so I'm just, would they be open to doing something like that at Will Linebacker? Would you be open to, uh, you know, Cody Simon maybe plays on early downs. Cody Simon's a guy you want on the field in short yardage, you know, third and short situations. And Chambers is the guy that you have for more coverage responsibilities or or things that are more likely to be passing downs. Like, I could, could that make sense? I think it could make sense. Um, they did it with tough Borland and Baron Browning in 2019. And that was, you know, they love tough Brown, tough Borland, obviously. Like I don't need to tell anybody how much they loved tough Borland. And it was always hard to find a, the right role for Baron Browning. And I'm not even sure that was it, but it was a recognition of this guy by using both of these guys. One position is better. You know, I used to, I, I always think of this, it's not the best analogy, but when I covered Purdue basketball, they, you know, everybody who covers, follows Big Ten basketball knows that they've always got two or three seven foot guys, but they never have, they don't have any seven foot guy that plays center like 30 some minutes a game. Obviously nobody really does. It's, it was all about trying to get a combination of those two or three guys to give you the best 40 minutes of center possible. And I think that you can't do that at every position on the field. There's plenty of times, and like nobody was calling for this last year with like Tommy Eichenberg, for instance. Like it seemed like he probably needed to be out there for every possible snap and and you know, and be great because he was doing a lot of things for that defense. No one's saying that right now. Lathan Ransom, they don't need to find someone to help Lathan Ransom be a really good safety. He's doing a great job of that on his own. But I, I do sort of wonder if there are just a couple of positions here and there where it makes sense to try that, and I think this might be one. And it's it's. It would be sort of keeping with the theme this season a little bit, right? Because, like, Cody Simon was the starting middle linebacker on the 2021 Ohio State defense. Now, that defense had its shortcomings, so you can take as much of that identity as you want, I guess. But it was still, like, he went out and won the job. Like, he was better than Tommy Eichenberg, in their opinion, that season. Although, frankly, personnel uh, evaluation was an issue for that staff at times. But... So could he be keeping with the theme of like Josh Proctor kind of finally having a breakthrough? 
and G Scott sort of coming around and like making his big move now to be a bigger part of this offense. And I think there's probably some other people that you could, you know, bring up. And it seems like there's a handful of guys who are just like belatedly kind of coming into their own and having this moment. And maybe Cody Simon could be a part of that. Jim Knowles has been saying it since the spring. Cody Simon needs to play more. And he's the one, not only is he the defensive coordinator, he's a linebackers coach. So this can't be a thing where like, oh, well, you know, Tony Alford decides who plays, who's in at running back. Like he's the guy, like he he's making this decision himself. So if he wants Cody Simon to play more, he needs to go talk to himself and tell himself to play Cody Simon. Or he can have a meeting with the unofficial official linebacker coach James Laurinaitis, and they can come to that decision together. But that's neither here nor there right now. We'll we'll come back around to that in six months and see if anything's actually changed in that situation. The other two 2022 guys I got asked about, Caden Curry and Kenyatta Jackson, Demille said both of those guys are ready to play, but... As you just mentioned with the he can't pass it off to somebody else, that's a Larry Johnson conversation of why those two aren't playing more. But it's not that they're not doing things in practice. One of it is just JT2 and Maloa has kind of been awesome. And they're happy with what they're getting from Jack Sawyer, which leads down to another conversation of that's for another day of what's Jack Sawyer's actual responsibilities out there and that why, and whether that's playing into a role of why he's not necessarily getting sacks. Sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. We were texting all type of stuff off of Ryan Day and Jim Knowles on Tuesday. We'll be back at the Woody as you're listening to this Wednesday evening. Well, we're supposed to get a lot of assistance, so we're going to be getting a lot of information. We don't know which assistance as we're recording this yet. Jerry hasn't told us, but we're supposed to be talking to assistant coaches, so we'll see what happens with that. Sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. One more thing before we get up out of here. This comes from our texter, Todd, in Michigan. Congratulations to Theo Dusky of the Gross Point Colts. He normally plays center, but was given the ball with the game still on the line and didn't disappoint. His 20-yard touchdown run all but sealed the win against the Cowboys as the Colts stay undefeated at 5-0. After his score, he convinced his teammates, the coaches, and pretty much everyone in attendance that his initials are TD, as in touchdown, not because his name is Theo Dusky. So shout out to you, Theo. Awesome moment for you this weekend. Listen, guys, sign up for text 614-350-3315. I know we say that a lot, but the texting community has literally become just that for us. Thank you guys who have stuck with us as we've transitioned. Thank you for welcoming Andrew aboard. Thank you for welcoming me into this new role of you know, leading the podcast and being the host. I know it hasn't always been smooth, but we do appreciate you guys for continuing to stick with us. We lo- We appreciate you guys so much for that, and I hope this little small shout out to t- to touchdown not Theo Dusky to touchdown Dusky shows you how much we appreciate you guys and we hope that you guys continue to stick with us as we continue down this path together so for Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis I'm Stephen Means and that was Buckeye Talk